Experimental Humanities Hi, and welcome to EH Out Loud. I'm Krista Caballero, the Associate Director here at Bard Center for Experimental Humanities, where we investigate how technology mediates what it means to be human. For our inaugural series, we're bringing you vulture season. Our research into vultures began last winter when I led a working group of six students who all brought a range of artistic abilities, technical skills, and research interests to the table. Our experiments across media focused on the messy and often surprising links between human, ecological, and technological landscapes. And in particular, we explored these connections through looking at vultures as an indicator species. As a cleanup crew that doesn't always get enough credit, vultures provide a window into shifting habitats and also the messiness of interspecies relationships. Historically, the range of black and turkey vultures didn't extend this far north. We wanted to know, why are they showing up in the Hudson Valley in such numbers, and why do they flock to our campus? That led to more complicated questions, namely, how do we interact with our more-than-human surroundings in the digital age? Throughout the podcast, you'll hear a chorus of voices from across campus and beyond, from people who are thinking about vultures either at the center of their research or from a particular perspective. Today, we're starting in the Hudson Valley and right here at Bard College to explore local ecologies and the birds around us. We got into the studio with written arts professor and avid birder, Susan Fox Rogers, who gave us a handle on distinguishing the two types of local vultures that have migrated here, black vultures and turkey vultures. The, the real difference is the turkey vulture flies and it, it will... Um, have these wobbly moments and the way it was told to me when I started birding was they fly like they're drunk they sort of stumble a little bit um, and one of my favorite writers uh, Florence Merriam Bailey who wrote at the turn of the century and into the 40s and 50s um, the way she describes it is it's like a cork on water which is a great image as well so if you just watch a turkey vulture for a little while you'll see that they do this like little little uh, shimmy in the air, you know, and the black vulture doesn't do that. We also talked to field biologist Eric Kiviat, the executive director of Hudsonia, a nonprofit environmental research institute that runs out of the field station here at BART. Eric has been doing ecological research in the area for over 50 years, and although vultures aren't his area of expertise, he shared some of his knowledge about their history in the area. Turkey vultures first became regularly seen in Dutchess County in the 1960s, they think the early 1960s. So that was probably just before I started spending a lot of time watching birds and, and doing other nature studies. The black vultures didn't become regularly seen here until the early 1990s. So these two species, which happened to sometimes associate when they're roosting and perhaps when they're sharing a dead deer on the road or something like that, actually moved northward from the southeastern U.S. Uh, 30 years apart, roughly. And, um, and now they're both very common here and they both breed here, although the, the nesting behavior isn't very well studied. It's hard to find vulture nests despite 
how big the birds are and, uh, you know, and how conspicuous they are. Um, and they do sometimes form these collective roosts, such as the one at Bard that you are so interested in. And this, you know, vultures sometimes roost in trees. They sometimes roost on buildings. I remember in about 1978 or 79 attending a conference in Georgia and going on a conference field trip to the Savannah River Lab site, which is on the South Carolina-Georgia border. And it's a large reserve where a lot of research on nuclear materials was done and I think is still being done. And at the time, there was a a large uh, inactive uh, nuclear uh, it wasn't a nuclear reactor facility. I don't think it was a power plant. And, of course, we were being driven around on a bus and, you know, told not to take photographs because it was a quasi-military facility. And everyone jumped out of the bus at one point to look at a lot of vultures standing on the roof of this, you know, dead, not quite abandoned nuclear facility. And, and it was the it's a flat area and this is a huge building and it was kind of eerie to see the vultures hanging out on on top of this uh, building which over the years either this building or or other facilities at the Savannah River Lab had leaked a lot of plutonium and other radionuclides into the environment and that's one of the reasons why so much research has been done there because the fate of those materials in ecosystems is very interesting and scary, but also very important to understand. So that was one of my experiences with vultures. Just like Eric was fascinated by the vultures he saw at the lab site years ago, there's really an intrigue around the vultures here at Bard. We talked to so many people who had stories to share, some based on observation, but a lot based on lore. That was another thing we noticed. It was impossible to disentangle the bird from the myth. Here's a story about the vultures that congregate around Bard's compost heap from ornithologist and Bard professor Bruce Robertson, who you'll hear from in a later episode. It helps to know that the Buildings and Grounds crew has attempted to deter vultures by putting up a net over the compost. I heard the vultures actually help each other under the net, like lift the net for each other. Oh, I haven't seen that. Yeah. That's I think there's a, there's a vulture around campus that kind of has a broken wing. Uh-huh. I can't remember. They have a name. The B&G guys have a name for him. I think he's called Hoppy or... Something else uh-huh. might have might be like Steve or something, <laughs> but like he can't fly, and so um, it might be a she as well. You can't really sex birds easily. Um, so, but uh, I heard I, they told one someone told me that that they actually the other vultures will lift up the net, and so Hoppy gets to go under, and they actually come by and feed Hoppy. Aww. So because they he can't feed himself. Bard students also have lots of stories and associations around the vultures. One of our media course students, Ariel, interviewed her friend Alex at the compost pile where the campus vultures hang out. Um, have you ever been to the dump? Yeah, many times. Why do you come here? Um, I came here my freshman year just to kind of explore because I was like, where are... I had heard that the vultures all congregated here. Um, oh, they're all flying away. Not all of them. Um, And then I did some photo stuff here, I think, 
as like every other photo student has. Um, and then I helped my friend Zeke out with a project for this sculpture class he had where we put a bunch of meat we bought from Hannaford's on there and filmed them. He like put a table on the pile of compost and covered it in meat and then just had the class like come and watch but all the meat was gone by the class, the, the time the class got there. Yeah. I was also gonna do my sitsai project here but they, the school didn't let me. Cause Why? We had a, I don't know if you guys had this project where you had to like um, swab something and see how much bacteria it had. Yes. Yeah, so I was just going to leave some meat out and, and do a before and after. Or, you know, just get some like deli ham or something like that. What happened? I, they didn't let me do it. I ended up, I came here and brought them some sweet ham. <laughs> <laughs> Beyond the lore, there's a real issue with having vultures on campus. Although they play a crucial ecological role, they do cause a huge amount of damage to the buildings. Lori Houston, Bard's chief sustainability officer, broke it down for us. Right, of course. So the issues that we've been having are mostly related to the fact that they seem to like to peck the roof of our athletic center. So these birds are, for some reason destroying the roof membrane of our athletic center in particular. And I've read in other places that it might be, you know, tearing the blades off windshield wipers uh, on cars. I don't think we've seen that or no one has connected the dots back and put in a vulture complaint about that for their car damage. Um, but we, for since 2015, have spent about thirty to $50,000 repairing the roof of the athletic center and so that's where it becomes an issue for the college with coexisting with, a, with the species. She also told us about some of the ways the college has been trying to deter them. We have been trying to deter the vultures with light and sound and motion. We've tried a number of different um, experiments from you know, sparkly rotating mirrors. Uh, we had a pest control group come in and maintain those um, quarterly. Uh, we've tried sound deterrents, whether that's, you know, a, um, a bit of explosive sound, yeah, intermittently applied. Over the gym? Uh, we do that mostly at the recycle yard. Oh, yeah. Um, what kind of explosive sound? Yeah, and I'm not sure whether that's... Um, a firecracker, um, sort of the homegrown solution, as opposed to the pest control company who had the official rotating mirrors on the roof. Uh, we have also bought faked, fake vultures, stuffed vultures to create um, effigies, which is apparently a deterrent and, and worked for a while. And then we have photos of them now sitting alongside the stuffed animal vulture. Um, we, we did, believe it or not, um, go through the USDA and the Fish and Wildlife Service to get a permit to euthanize a vulture um, with the idea of using them as a, um, a more real life effigy. And I don't think we ever, we got the permit, but we never, we never did it. We never euthanized a bird, but it was one of the federal government's options for us. Um, in addition to considering, we we thought we might be able to consider relocation, but I don't, that doesn't seem like a long-term solution when the climate is driving them into our into our region. You'll notice that Lori used the word effigy a few times. 
It's such an evocative word, often associated with sacred and political symbols, that we wanted to ask her if there's a reason for using it. I think that came from the government language and sort of what are the what are the things we are allowing you to do to respond to this? And so, yeah, not a, not a bard thing, but a... Uh, that's the government language. Yeah. I did leave off a deterrent method. Can I add one more? So our most recent experiment, because these uh, birds get used to things with flashing mirrors and sound, um, we have we have bought the um, what we call tube men. So those fluorescent orange inflatable wiggly plastic creations that you might see at a used car lot. Um, and they, uh, the idea there is they're on a timer, motion sensor, so that they're not always going and waving their arms in the air and the vultures don't get used to them. They go on when uh, a bird lands nearby and scares them away. So we'll see if that has a long-term deterrent effect to keep them off the, off the roofs. We should also mention that in their effort to deter the vultures on campus, our Buildings and Grounds crew has been keeping a log full of great notes and images, which we're posting in the show notes. We've also got links to the projects that students created in our EH Winter Working Group. Some even made virtual reality installations of the deterrence Lori mentioned. Of course, the conversation about vultures is complicated. Even though we need to deter them on campus, there's a really clear and necessary role they play. Here's what our guests had to say. So why we want vultures on campus uh, is the role they play in the ecosystem is really valuable, right? They, if something dies, they are, whether it's freshly rotted or not, they are there to eat it and, you know, return things to nature. Um, they can eat things that have toxins and parasites and prevent other things from getting sick and transmission to humans. So they play a really important role in our ecosystem. I just think we're in the against column. We don't know what happens when we get larger quantities of them. I think everybody's first impression is that they're so ugly. Um, they're, they're, they're kind of the ugly ducklings of the, of the bird world. They, get, they don't get appreciated at all, you know, and in fact, for, so for me, I think that it's this, there's a beauty in what they do. They, they take care, they prevent us from getting sick by cleaning things up. And it's really only become incredible how it's become really clear, like with the de- massive declines in vultures that have taken place in the Middle East um, due to the kind of accidental poisoning of them that have illustrated how much we're protected by them all the time. And so I think of them as these kind of like ugly ducking al- al- allies of myself who, um, who just really need to be loved much more than they are. They really are the great street cleaners of the world. So there you have it. We've learned a little bit about these ugly duckling allies of ourselves and the complicated role they play and we play as we all coexist. In the next episode, you'll hear some of the same voices and some new ones as well as we move beyond the Hudson Valley to explore vultures across the Americas. In the meantime, we've got a lot of links in the show notes, including pictures of the campus vulture log, our EH student work, and some amazing photographs by Susan Fox Rogers. EH Out Loud is produced at Bard Center for Experimental Humanities by me, Krista Caballero, Corinna Cape, Bird Cohen, and Ariel West. 
Fact-checking and transcription by Anna Hallett Gutierrez and Simone Richardson. Sound editing and music by Ariel West and Bird Cohen. Special thanks to Alexis Brewer, Maria Sachikostaseri, Jaiman Gibson, Alex Hardy, Eric Kiviat, Lori Houston, Arthur Holland Michelle, Bruce Robertson, Susan Fox Rogers, Nicole Salt, and the Experimental Humanities Media Corps. Visit us at eh.bard.edu to learn more about our vulture research as well as other projects at the center.